Pure Dog Talk is the voice of purebred dogs. We talk to the legends of the sport and give you the tips and tools to create an awesome life with your purebred dog. From showing to preservation breeding, from competitive obedience to field work, from agility to therapy dogs, and all the fun in between, your passion is our purpose. All right, guys, are you planning your next litter of puppies? Or maybe you just finished your foundation bitch and you're ready to start health testing. Embark, creator of the highest rated dog DNA tests on the market, offers specialized testing just for breeders. And while they're offering a few different tests, only the Embark for Breeders dog DNA kit was made to provide breed-relevant disease screening for your purebred dogs. It includes traits testing, such as coat color and body size, DLA diversity testing, breed ancestry, easy-to-download OFA submission reports, and the only genetic coefficient of inbreeding test available. Find out why thousands of breeders have trusted Embark to enhance their breeding program, including me, through screening for breed-specific genetic conditions, understanding traits, and identifying genetic diversity. To save on the most accurate, most comprehensive dog DNA kit, visit EmbarkVet.com backslash breeders and use the code PUREDOGTALK to take $20 off a full-priced Embark for Breeders dog DNA kit. That's EmbarkVet.com backslash breeders and use the code PUREDOGTALK. Most of you guys know me. I'm Laura Reeves. I am the host of Pure Dog Talk podcast. We are recording this fabulous event this evening for the podcast, so I'm very excited about that. Those of you who do not know Dr. Gail Watkins are absolutely missing out. Gail founded the Avidog International Company. She has spent decades with science-based training, raising, breeding methods. This is the real deal. I learned things. I've been doing this for 40 years. The first time I heard Gail talk, I learned things. It changed how I raised my puppies for the better. And I've been at this a really long time. So please give Gail your attention. She is the shizzle. (laughs) That's for real. That's like a real word. Thank you, Laura. We're going to do just a short look at puppy socialization, and since it's my retirement night, I can be really controversial. (laughs) And tell you to not introduce your puppy to a hundred people, and not drag your puppy around. So, in my opinion, we have gone off the rails in socializing our puppies, and have lost the bubble on what we're trying to do when we develop puppies. And so tonight, you get my view on that. Now, if you're sitting there going, I don't know who you are, and I've never heard of a dog. I'll just tell you, been breeding golden retrievers for 40 years, four-time AKC breeder of the year in four different sports. I have multiple national champions, rally, agility. And so my dogs are competition dogs. Show dogs, combination, obedience, field dogs. 
So for me, when I'm speaking to you, socialization is about how do we create working and competition dogs. If we create working and competition dogs, we should, if we've done our job well, we should also have great companions. Those things should be compatible with each other. So we're going to talk about how we do that and why I think we've gone for this. So we use this word socialization, and we so are missing what socialization is. So socialization is about developing social relations. Who do dogs develop social relations with? Humans? Other dogs. Two primary socialization tracks in dogs. There are a few more. Cats. We try to get dogs to see cats as social creatures, not prey. <laughs> try horses, cattle, things like that. But the vast majority of our dogs' relationships are going to be human and dogs. So that's going to be our focus. That's not everything in puppyhood. And we use socialization, and it's this teeny part of what we're trying to do with our puppies. We are not trying to socialize them to noises, to sights, to buildings. I can take your puppies out to different places and socialize them. I'm like, they're not being socialized to a place. They're being introduced to it. They're learning to be comfortable there. But they're not developing a social relationship with those things. But because we have the word social in it, what happens? We take them to that place. And we say, oh, they have to meet you, and they have to meet you, and they have to meet you, because in our minds, we're thinking social. And we force these puppies to meet strangers that we don't know, people we don't know, people who may not be very dog savvy. So what do we get? Oh, God, I love puppies! And your puppy's sitting there going, who, who, what, why? That's not what I really feel comfortable with. And so when we are talking about these things, we are not talking about socialization. So this concept that we are using, socialization, misses the really key pieces of puppy development. And so that's going to be manners and mental puppies. We're going to talk about resilience and stability and how important they are to all of our needs. Because not every is going to be super friendly and super ugly, and they shouldn't be. But they all should have some mental resilience. So when we raise our puppies, what are we really thinking about? We're thinking about physical development. How do we teach puppies to be coordinated? How do we teach puppies to know where their rear is, to move well? Mental development. We do want to do some social development. We want skill development. And Lord help us, this has like completely gotten lost. But manners are really, really important. And we need to be telling. And I should make a side. So this talk may be less for you and more for your neighbors, your sister, your trainees, the people who go down the street. You can share this with them because their dogs need manners. And when we only talk about socialization, people miss the manners part. And we're going to talk about 
what does a social interaction look like? What should it look like between dog and people and dog and dog? So this is what I think our puppy socialization goals should be. The essential ones, stability. We'll talk more about what that actually means. Resilience, civility, just being a civil animal in a busy world. And above all, trust. So trust is a good stop. We need our puppy to trust people, to trust the world around it, dogs, places, sights, sounds, to trust expectations of it. This is a huge failing, I think, in the pet world, that they, oh, he knows he shouldn't be doing this. Well, if he knew it, he would probably do it. He probably doesn't. And then lastly, they need to trust themselves. And we do very little to teach puppies to trust themselves. What don't we need in all, all of our puppies? They actually don't have to be friendly. They need to be civil, but not friendly. They don't need to be outgoing. It's not something that's required of a dog. They don't need to be dog park fans. They don't need to be doggy daycare fans. <laughs> Hopefully I'm not insulting anyone tonight. But it's, you know, what are you gonna do, fire me? <laughs> <laughs> they don't need to be bold. And they don't need to be self-confident. We like it when they are, but these are not essential traits for the vast majority of our dogs. And this is not meant to insult anybody, but the Labrador Retriever is not and should not be the temperament standard. <laughs> <for> <laughs> <all>. <laughs> and that is not because I don't like Labrador Retrievers. They're amazing, but they are one breed. And somehow, some way, we have convinced people that that is the essence of what it does. So if you have a Basenji, or you have an Airedale, or you have almost any other breed, maybe Goldens, who I do love, they aren't going to be like that, and they don't need to be like that. What do they need to be? Stable, resilient, so socialization, is development. I'm going to use the word socialization only because I've tried to change it in my talks and people, they lose the concept. But socialization means all of this development. The vast majority of people think socialization ends at 16 weeks. Sensitive period, those first four months, so important to puppies. I'm going to tell you, if you are not doing focused socialization, until 12 to 15 months. You may be told. And I have to say, some of you probably have actually bunk-proof dogs that you could have left in the kennel until they were 15 months old, and they come out as great dogs. Bless them, because they tolerate us and they're amazing ones. <laughs> but most dogs need socialization through 15 months. So how did I start thinking about this? I did seminars around the world, and people would come to me and say, I got a super well-bred puppy from great parents, a wonderful breeder who did early neurologic stimulation and had adventure boxes and all of these things. 
I got that puppy out. I had that puppy socialized, and she, at 12 months of age, became a complete freak, and I can't show her. She simply can't go in the room. So what happened? This puppy had everything we say needs to be done to a puppy. She was great at five months of age, and then at 12 months of age, she collapsed. It's because we have three really important stages of socialization in our lives. So we have the sensitive period, three to 16 weeks, what we all hear about, what we're told to focus on. They explore the world. So the reason socialization sort of became a thing is because Scott and Fuller in the 50s and the 60s did all these experiments, and they showed that puppy brains are focused on establishing social relationships. Sensitive period puppies, social relationships are key. Initially, it's social relationships to their mom, their litter mates, and then it becomes people. We're really blessed with these animals who love us almost more than they love their species. Some of them. And so they found that this social relationship in those early weeks was really important. But note the third bullet. In this period, puppies are hypersensitive to what is called agonistic or negative responses. And if you think about it, that's how puppies stay alive. You know, aren't they total adults at this age? And they go wandering up to cougars, or they go wandering up to coyotes. Hey, how are you? And they get slammed, and they learn, that was stupid. I should not go blundering up to penalties. <laughs> because otherwise they don't have any way to know that that's not safe. So they are focused on social relationships, and in those relationships they are hyper-focused on negative responses. And that's how they stay alive. It's not a bad thing. It's a survival thing. But it's something we always worry about because it can expand beyond what we want, which is staying sane and alive. And during this period, there is the ever-present fear imprint period. So eight to 10 weeks, it is not a fear period. It is a fear imprint period. So I hear people say, oh, my puppy's really skitzy. It's a fear period. He's just more afraid. They're not more afraid in that stage. They are going through a continual progression towards fear that starts at five weeks for German Shepherds and six weeks for other ones. It is what a canine is. They are a fearful creature. Look at wolves. Look at coyotes. Canines, not so these days, but the coyotes used to be afraid of people. Wolves are afraid of people. This is inherent in this species. So fear is inherent in dogs. Our job is to try and counter this natural tendency towards people. But a fear imprint period is different. So we talked about sort of this hypersensitivity. Eight to 10 weeks is when puppies quickly, rapidly, and long-term respond to negative, really negative trauma. And so that's an important thing for us to recognize. But it isn't that we need to wrap them in bubble wrap during that period. We just need to avoid trauma. Or if they are traumatized, we need to respond appropriately. So how do you respond appropriately to a traumatized puppy? You pick it up, you cuddle it, you kiss it, you hold it until it stops 
shaking or crying or whatever it's doing. And then you put it down and it usually will not imprint. But what are pet people told to do when their puppy's afraid? Don't feed the fear. Don't respond to it. So now we have a traumatized puppy in the middle of a fear imprint period who is not cared for and held and made safe. And now we get puppies that imprint. And they might imprint by a dog walking down the street, a toddler running over them, the other dogs, you know, puppy waiting outside the door, you open the door and the other dogs run them over. And now they've imprinted on those dogs. And during imprint periods, we can't control what the puppy imprints on. They might imprint on the location, you know, the door. I got run over at the door, the door is bad. I got run over by a black dog that ran out the door. Black dogs are bad. It was after breakfast. After breakfast is bad. We can't control that imprinting. All we can do is try and keep them from imprinting on the cat's body. Holding, cuddling, etc. But that's three to sixty weeks. We have a long way to go. And so the next is the juvenile period. So four months of adolescence, they're just silly. I mean, really, it's like four to eight-year-old kids. They're just at that I'm gonna go see the world kind of stage. They are focusing on becoming independent. They aren't trying to blow us off. They are trying to understand the parameters of their world. So who's had the 15-week-old puppy who comes 100% of the time? 100%, you're like, I rock this one. <laughs> and then they hit five months, and they're like, well, wait a minute. Does Tom mean come here? Because I know it meant it at home, but the park, and I'm not so sure come means come in the park. That's all they're trying to figure out is where do these rules apply? And so now what do we do? We call them again. And what did they just learn? Those little pea brains are like, oh, you know, you actually don't have to come in the park. <laughs> She's going to call again. And then what do you do? You call again, and then what happens? Come! And they're like, oh, that's when I have to come. <laughs> and now we just taught them to be juvenile delinquents because that's what they're prone to do. Learning slows during this period. So we have this brain in the sense of the period that's sucking in everything, and now in the juvenile period, it starts to reorganize. And you will tend to see puppies learn less well during this period. You would think, oh, I've got a brilliant one here. Maybe not. But it's not that they're any less smart. It's just what's happening within their brain. Their silliness can make them incredibly annoying to other dogs. They are typically not very socially met. And so, you know, the dog is doing the lip lift and they're like, oh, it's okay, really. I think you're very cute. And they get themselves in trouble. And look at our last bullet. There is another fear infant period typically around six months age. It can be. Not all dogs go through this. But now, you know, you have a silly puppy that's in the four to six class, meets a dog outside the ring, pisses it off, gets corrected, and now you have a dog that's not comfortable with shows. 
because it just imprinted on what happened. So we always want to be aware of that. And then just because we haven't had enough fun, <laughs> now they become adults. Now, that is very breed specific when that happens. So golden retrievers might enter puberty nine, ten, or even older. <laughs> <laughs> Five years old. Yeah. 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 I'm actually not sure lovers ever leave this. <laughs> Some breeds are young for a long time, and then there's the toy breeds that tend to leave adolescence very early, typically six to seven months. And now <laughs> she's getting a toy. It goes much faster. <laughs> this is when they are looking for their place in the world, and they are usually extremely awkward in the world. So they're trying to figure out if they're a big man on campus, or if they really are the top bitch. And they can't figure it out, and they're usually not very good at trying to do it. They are incredibly distracted by interactions with other dogs, most of them. And so your dog that was a great healer or wonderful in the ring now sort of sees everybody, oh, she's really cute. I need to go say hi to her. And now you get this distractibility that's pretty intense often. And most important for us is this is when aggression can show up. So what kind of aggression? Depending upon the breed, it can be location aggression. So it might be your home, it might be your car, it might be your wit. And so you think, I have done all of this socialization, I have gotten this puppy out, we've been everywhere, and now suddenly I'm seeing aggression. Why didn't I see it before? Because it didn't exist. This is a teenager. They're different. You can't always predict it. This is often when dog reactivity or even human reactivity shows up. Very, very, very common. And so what do we have to do? We have to be ready for it. We have to be prepared not to be disappointed, not to call Gail and say, oh my God, what do I do? Tell him to knock it off. Tell him to not be a jerk. But all they're trying to do, I always say a lot of these are like, I'm a viewer's old design, so you may know this analogy. You know, the guy in the white t-shirt with his sleeves rolled up and a cigarette pack, <laughs> some tats, and they're like, hey, you want a piece of me? And somebody says, oh, knock it off. Okay. I didn't know that that wasn't the way we were supposed to do things. I was just the way I was feeling. And we just have to guide them. But yet, there is yet another fear. <laughs> Often, they usually don't make much of these long, but between 12 and 15 months is pretty common. So again, we are thinking about protecting our dogs. And we're protecting them now. So they're silly in the juvenile period. They're just idiots, awkward idiots in the adolescent period. And they're trying to figure out, am I the big guy? Am I the top bitch? And you know, somebody's gonna tell me no. And then they take offense, and they're all hurt by it. So we want to be really cautious in those interactions. Hang tight, guys. Got a little bit of information for you. We'll be right back to the podcast in a minute. All right, you guys. If you are part of a national breed club in the U.S. or Canada, I need you to listen up. My partners at Trupanion, medical insurance for the life of your pet, 
have just launched a super exciting National Breed Club referral program. I mean, I'm saying, you guys have heard me talk about True Panion's Breeder Support Program before, and this is what gives you access to a special coverage offer for your litters that waives waiting periods for your puppies when you send them home. Now you can partner with Trupanion directly to share this incredible free program with the breeders in your club. And the best part, your club earns sponsorship support in return for every member that joins the program. It's pretty much of a win-win, guys. If you're interested and want to learn more, head to my partner page at puredogtuck.com and click on the link at Trupanion. into action what box, in the litter box, as soon as we get them home, 
Now we have the ability to teach them appropriate behaviors before it becomes a habit. Because just like us, dog behavior is a neurological process. And the more neurons are used, the stronger they become. So the more our puppies practice problem behaviors, the more likely we will see those problem behaviors again. And now we're trying to undo something which is much more difficult than building it. So, what are some appropriate behaviors? And Laura and I were talking about this today, and this is her least favorite one. That initial no. <laughs> confirmation. The sit is probably not. Or pointing breeds, you know. For or example. pointing breeds. And there's lots of competition working dogs that we don't want to sit, and there are a lot of dogs we do want to sit. So, put it on your list and think through what kind of dogs am I trying to create? So, if you're trying to create a special, you don't want sit to be your response to stress because, you know, you go into Westminster and there's a lot of applause and it's really stressful and you don't want your dog sit. So think through what you do with your dog. But sit is an option, come is an option. And I teach come to almost all my pet classes. When that dog is worried, I want it to come to its own. Now you have fewer loss in the same dogs. But what else can we do? This is what Laura teaches. Or down. Down or stand. Two great options for a dog that is under stress. Eye contact, really good for obedience typically. Quiet, don't need to bark. And this is my favorite. Watch. Stop and watch what's happening. I'll make sure you're not going to get hurt. And that's going to be our commitment to them. You will not get hurt. I will be trustworthy, but I want you to pause and look. And just look and watch. So as we're thinking about how we begin to introduce stress, we want to guide our puppies to the behavior that we want to see in them. Whether that's eye contact or sit, down, stand, any of those. So that's stability. We also want to build resilience. And honestly, if you are involved in Avidog, much of what Avidog has done over the years is building resilient puppies, putting them under stress very, very early in their lives so that they can be resilient. Resilience is this ability to bounce back from stress or frustration or fear. So if you think about it, we can't make every puppy bomb-proof. This is not possible, it's not the species, but even if the non-bomb-proof puppies are resilient and can bounce back from what's happened to them, you will have a great It's the bouncing back that matters more than anything else. It is built through inoculation to stress. So in stability, we wanted to introduce stress to teach them the right behaviors. Here, we must introduce stress to teach them resilience. One of the most obvious causes of stress in puppyhood is frustration. I want what I want now. I always sing Mick Jagger, you can't always say what you 
That's the life of a puppy. You will rarely get what you want unless you are really polite in your request. But frustration is huge for puppies. Challenges, we need to introduce all kinds of challenges. I'm a really big physical challenge person because it adds frustration, it adds mental issues where puppies get challenged mentally as well as physically. And then scary things. <laughs> need to introduce scary things to our puppies. So how many of you are breeders? Yeah, so I would guess, it, do you have in your rubbing box dancing toys and bouncing balls? And hopefully you have a few added documentary boxes made by my friends, Marcy and Lisa. Bottle pools. All of these things that introduce challenge and stress to our puppies. And we are inoculating this life. Even if you're an anti-vaxxer, we're giving them a vaccine. Yeah. <laughs> not gonna get into that box. We're inoculating them to stress. And so our job as readers and owners is to set up increasing amounts of stress that the puppy tolerates and overcome. And the most important thing is overcome. So let's look, let me go back, this guy. So that puppy was screaming and was very upset that he couldn't get over the log. He couldn't get over the log. That's a puppy, you know? And so that can't make it. What happened when he made it over that log? Who's seen that charge in a puppy like I did it. Touchdown. <laughs> I am hot stuff. <laughs> Puppies feel pride. They feel confidence. That puppy gets over that log and he's like, bring it. I've got it. Great start to that puppy's life. Huge shit. We want to add those over and over. Now, what do a lot of people do when they see that? They might go and pick him up and move him over it. They might come right up to it and say, come on, baby. Hey, dude, you can go under it. <laughs> but they go back and help. What just happened if you go help them? You took away the stress. And who solved the problem? You did. So now we've just created a dependent puppy that says, I can't do this, but you can help me. And unfortunately, you're not always there to solve the problems. And especially if you do competitions, where we are definitely not there to help the puppy Can solve the problem. Can we get foot stomp Laura says that's not my foot. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So what do we do? We make sure that puppy is safe. We don't go far. We turn our backs on that puppy. Why do we turn our backs? Why do I turn my back on the puppy? It's for them to learn. It's for them to learn, and I'm leaving. So you need to solve this problem. Now, you need to figure Talk out about how much they read our faces. Oh, it's why I, you know, if we look at them, now they're engaged with us. They're not engaged with the log and the mud and all of that. If your back is to them, and you're just glancing, 
and I try to, I mean, I never take my eyes off of a puppy, but I'm going to walk away. Now, I walk like this. I'm going so fast. I have to go dive in the mud if need be. But I'm leaving that puppy to solve its own problem. And leaving, I just want to make clear, is not actually leaving. I just look like I'm leaving. And when you're seven weeks old, it's scary to be left. So let's talk a little bit about some of the things we can do to inoculate puppies to stress. Absolutely confining training. I know there are people that raise their puppies without crates and X-Pens and things like that, but I think that process teaches puppies so much because almost to a puppy they get frustrated and they learn to give in to that frustration and not get hysterical and not throw busy fits and to be calm and relaxed. And we want calm and relaxed when they're solving problems. Now that's not a problem they're gonna solve until I decide to let them out, but I'm gonna let them out a lot sooner if they're calm and quiet than if they're grabbing the bars and shaking it and screaming. And so, So, anybody familiar with Adventure Walks or Woods Walks? Okay. So we take puppies out this is, unfortunately, a five and a half to 16 week process. If you have not done it by 16 weeks, chance starts gonna get a lot more exciting for you because now, remember, they're juveniles and they're seeking independence. Prior to that, they are gonna stay with you. We take them out and it's not, I mean, it is a lovely walk in the woods. It's one of my very favorite things to do. My goal is to leave them, to hide from them, to abandon them. That's 100% of my goal at them. And so we're walking along and, you know, they find a smell or something, and we just step behind a tree. Yeah, you have to have trees. Or else you have to get down on the <laughs> very first dog we did this with, we did um, Carmel Beach in California. So you can do it on a beach, but it's a lot easier if you have trees. And you step behind it and you wait. What you are seeking is that puppy to start to panic. Just to realize, one, you're gone, and two, they need to figure out what to do. Because from five months, six weeks of age to 16 weeks, they are driven to find you. And if we're going to start that conversation of, oh, but I have dachshunds, bloodhounds, Basenji, Shivas, Afghans, it works for all of them. We have probably had every breed come through and do this, and it works. Biggest challenge usually with Border Collies and Goldens is that they are right here. You have to go out of your way to do it. But you are going to look to hide, and your goal is that the puppy finds you. Because now we get that pride, that solution. Now, if they start to panic and they start to run the other way, you just step out and make some noise. Don't let them bolt. But most puppies are going to start looking for you, and you can stand behind a tree and let them find you. It doesn't have to be a hard problem, but it's repeated over and over and over. And now you have a puppy who takes the responsibility to know where you are and doesn't panic when it needs to solve a problem. And keeping 
jobs from panicking is very important. It will turn on between five and a half and six weeks, except for toys. Anybody have toys? Yeah. So there you're usually going to see it closer to eight weeks. They'll start at It ends for all breeds at 16 weeks. And it's typically like a month switch. If you haven't been afraid for 16 weeks, they're like, Talk to the hand. I am out of here. I'm expressing my independent self. <laughs> and now you have a problem. So, but if you have done it prior to that, it sticks with them for life. It becomes a lifetime desire to stay I do my litters, and then I do one copy of it. I do the pearl one. I love doing my litters, typically by six and a half weeks. Andy will tell you in those early days, I'm like, come on. You can go faster. You can do this. But we'll take out 13 puppies with two people. If you don't feel comfortable with that, then take out two puppies. Take out two puppies. If you have toys, put helium balloons on the collars. Thank you all for joining us. This has been part one of our episode. Watch this space. Part two will be coming up soon. Like the NPR of dogdom, Pure Dog Talk is here for you. To make sense out of everyday things. To add nuance to your understanding and tools to your tech box. To bring history to life and propel the living history of purebred dogs into the future. Pure Dog Talk patrons support the work we do here by contributing to our crowdsourcing campaign. In return for the generosity that keeps the MP3s rolling, patrons acquire special access opportunities and perks. The most recent addition for our patrons is Pure Pep Talk. These weekly mentoring messages are quick, upbeat, actionable tips and tools for your tech box. Visit www.puredogtalk.com backslash patrons to find out how you can join the best community in dogs. As always, if you have any questions or input, we'd love to hear from you. The show notes and links to resources on today's topic are available at puredogtalk.com. Drop us a note in the comments or email to laura at puredogtalk.com. Remember, guys, this podcast is for you. So if you want to know something, give me a holler. We'll do a podcast for you. If you wouldn't mind, you could help me out here. Take a couple minutes to visit iTunes and give us a review. The Dog Show Superintendents Association is a proud supporter of Pure Dog Talk. Our dog show superintendents are the hardworking people who make the dog show function. They are advocates for education and mentorship in the purebred dog fancy. So stop by the Supers desk at your next show. Tell them how much you love Pure Dog Talk and give them a shout out for their support. 
That's all for today. Thank you for joining us on Pure Dog Talk.